my spirit. I was once a queen. You are a spectre from the gods. Walk with me. All right. You're listening to Wait You Were Mormon with Devin Brown. I'm your host, Devin Brown. And for episode 21, we've got the very lovely William Shun. He's a sci-fi writer, and we talk about his memoir, The Accidental Terrorist, his mission to Canada and the Pacific Northwest, and much, much more. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out www.waityourmormon.com for access to previous episodes as well as all of my social links. And while you're there, why not share a favorite episode with a family member or friend? be very righteous of you but that's enough of me enjoy the episode um just jumping right into it um can you introduce yourself yeah my name is william shun uh people call me bill i I answer to that but william is my byline Uh, i grew up in the church i was very interested in science fiction and uh uh, have been writing and publishing science fiction since my early 20s, mm-hmm. which is, oh boy, th- that's 30 years now. And uh, I went to the University of Utah. Oh, nice. And yeah, and ended up uh, working at uh, WordPerfect uh, right out of right out of college. And after a couple of years of living in uh, in the Provo area, I was just really unhappy mm. after after my mission. I had started drifting away from the church, and I'd been having doubts, you know, my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, uh, met a girl and moved to New York. And when I arrived in New York, I realized that uh, uh, the church just wasn't necessarily for me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I had kind of an interesting experience when I was a missionary. Um, in that, uh, I was very, I was very, um, depressed the first few months of my mission. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wasn't sure, uh, how much I believed in the church and I was trying to prove to myself that I really did, but I just got so unhappy that, uh, I decided to try to run away and go home and I was intercepted by the church in by, by a, a stake president in Great Falls, Montana, and he convinced me to go back. And I did. And, and at, after that, I tried to be super zealous mm-hmm. as a missionary. Uh, and so there came a time a couple months later when I was on a temporary, uh, in temporary companionship with another missionary who wanted to go home. And he had a plane ticket and uh, told me that he was he was leaving, and I tried to talk him out of it. And when I couldn't talk him out of it, um, and I couldn't get a hold of anyone at the mission office to to talk to about it, I um, decided to make a last ditch effort to keep him from leaving, and you know, basically prove to myself how how faithful I was, mm-hmm. and keep myself from getting in trouble. Uh, so I called in a bomb threat on his flight. <laughs> uh, and I ended up getting arrested and, and going to jail for a brief period of time in Canada. Uh, and I, I really thought that was going to be the end of my mission. 
But as soon as I was uh, out of jail and as soon as Canada had said, uh, we, we want you to leave the country since you're an American who mm -hmm. just committed a felony here, yeah. uh, the church just reassigned me to uh, the Spokane mission. Mm -hmm. And I had another 18 months of my mission left to go. And they, they really didn't want me to talk about anything that I had uh, that I had gone through in Canada. Uh, I was, I was told that I wasn't, you know, it's not something I should spread around and that I should be kind of ashamed of mm. basically. And I, I didn't feel that way at all. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was told that I should pretend that I, I had an illness. And if the, uh, if the illness story wasn't working if people weren't buying it i could say it was mental illness right. and i was thinking you know i'm not going around telling yeah. uh everybody that i got sent to uh to a stateside mission because of mental illness mm -hmm. i'm gonna tell the truth and uh i did and you know none of the, all, all the other missionaries thought that was pretty cool mm -hmm. uh the the leaders weren't quite as happy with me that i was telling the story but you know the cat was out of the bag at that point mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so yeah, when I, when I got home from my mission, like I said, I just kind of went inactive, um, and, and slowly drifted away from the church and, uh, yeah, moved, moved around a little bit after that, New York to Chicago and back to a few different places in New York. Um, uh, and in the time since I've been, uh, at various times, uh, uh, I've run some, uh, I've run a website about my experiences in Mormonism. Mm -hmm. Um, that was way back in the, in the nineties and the early two thousands. And, you know, I was very, I was very bitter at that time. And I, at some point I just, I was just tired of arguing with people online about, mm -hmm. uh, about all these things that just weren't super relevant to me anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I, I took the website down and uh, tried to walk away from that part of it anyway. And then I, you know, I had also been working on a book about my missionary experience. So I mm -hmm. kept working on that and finally, finally published it in 2015. And I don't know. That's, that was a little long winded, but that, oh, no, that's no. Um, kind of, I definitely have some questions based on my that. story. Like you obviously, cool. um, the website was Mormon matter, correct? that you started yes um yeah and that was a very early like platform for ex-mormons like um i'm curious like what is your opinion on like the current ex-mormon landscape with with reddit and the various groups and websites you know i've i've dipped a toe in it here and there but i haven't really i haven't really kept up with it or paid a lot of attention to mm -hmm. it i was aware of when the ces letter came out mm -hmm. and of all the furor that that developed around that and i i think just the um the explosion of all the places that ex-mormons have to talk online and to have community i think that's really fantastic mm -hmm. and i've participated here and there a little bit um but <clears throat> excuse me for the most part um uh, i've kind of I feel like I, I left that, that desire to be really heavily immersed in, mm -hmm. uh, the identity of, of being an ex Mormon. I feel mm -hmm. like I, I left that behind about 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't have, 
nightmares anymore the way I used to. I mean, I occasionally I do. Yeah. Um, occasionally, I'll have these dreams that uh, where I feel like I'm I'm being uh, possessed by the devil and I can't move or or things mm-hmm. like that. And a couple of times I've had this dream where I suddenly realize I'm on a I'm on a mission again yeah. for two more years. <laughs> that one that one is really terrifying, but it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't keep me up at night mm. the way that it used to a long time ago. And I, I sometimes find that when I, uh, when I'm talking about, uh, about those experiences a lot and immersing myself in it, um, that those sort of bad feelings start, start mm. coming back. And, um, uh, you know, I'm trying to just, just live my life in, in other directions now. Yeah. Mm, so it's kind of ex-Mormonism as an identity can p- kind of be like cell phone usage or something like that. The more you kind of <laughs> keep yourself from looking at it, more more peace tends to come into your life. Um, yeah, yeah. That's good yeah. to know. I, um, I, I, oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I, I dig uh, meeting people um, and, and having one-on-one chats like this mm-hmm. on occasion. I mean, that that's always, it's always great to, to meet and talk to people who've shared that kind of experience. Exactly. Uh, it's just being immersed in it, you mm. know, full time that, um, I think you, I think you kind of grow out of at some point, at mm. least, at least some people do. There are some people who are like natural caretakers too, I think, who, um, who are really good at being part of a, a community and helping mm-hmm. other people along. And I, I feel like I was, I was doing that work for a long time. Occasionally I still get emails from people who, who say, you know, I ran across your, um, I I just saw your book. Um, I remember running across your website way back in the, in the nineties and realizing that I wasn't the only one who was having these kind of thoughts about the church. Um, and that's, that's really, really great. Um, that makes me feel like, you know, all the, all the pain that I, I poured into that website for 10 years and all the work and all the, you know, all the angst getting angry emails from people and, mm-hmm. uh, and things that that makes it feel like it was all worth it. Oh, yeah. And then I'm curious, um, you mentioned kind of having these nightmares again, you know, of having a second mission. And I know I've, been having those for several years and when I do have them mm-hmm. I'm always the current age that I am when I'm having the dream has that been your experience as well like I'll just wake up at at 40 like whoa why am I here with these 19 year olds like about to do this again yeah um I'm not sure I've been aware of what age I, I was during those dreams it's just like I, I the feeling I had in the dream was I got home from my mission and then I got sent on another mission immediately. Mm. So like what I thought was, was over is, is it's, it's just started. Oh, you know? it's perpetual. And, and yeah, kind of, kind of a never ending thing. Mm. Now, obviously I don't want to gloss over um, that big incident of your mission with the, uh, the threat or what have you. <laughs> but um, you mentioned having like doubts, like from from a pretty early age and then you tried to leave your mission pretty early into it. Yeah. Um, so were you having, as you tried to be zealous, were you having kind of intense spiritual experiences that 
caused a change in you that made you want to take those kind of drastic measures or was it all performative? I think it was performative in, in a big way. Um, uh, I think I'll, I'll tell you about it, an interesting experience I had as a missionary after I got uh, sent to the United States. Um, but at, at that time, I think it was, I think it was performative. I really felt like, uh, I knew that I was not a very diligent missionary. Mm. You know, my, my companion and I, we were in a small town out on the, the plains in Alberta, uh, an oil town. And, uh, it was winter and, uh, it was, it was just lonely. And, you know, you can only knock on all the doors so many times in this town. Um, and we started, we, we called it, uh, being a bucket back in in those days in that mission we were we were just you know we would sit around and do nothing or we'd we got a tv and we'd watch tv shows or we'd go shoot pool somewhere or go bowling um and in, instead of instead of our tracting and you know i just felt like i was i was kind of wasting my time i was not doing good work for God and I certainly wasn't doing anything good for myself or mm. for for my soul. So um, I, all that um, contributed to me wanting to go home. And you know, I had a girlfriend too who was supposedly waiting for me. So mm. I was I was very homesick about all those things. And uh, um, so yeah, that's that's all of what went into uh, making me want to leave. And then after. Um, after the whole uh, legal issue and after I was back in the United States, um, I think I kind of settled into a bit more of a groove. I still wasn't the most diligent, the most spiritual missionary mm. ever. Um, I was always a good student. So I knew the, uh, I knew the scriptures pretty well and I could teach lessons well, mm. but I didn't have tons of super deeply spiritual experiences until uh, and this I, I have various ways of explaining this experience to myself nowadays and i've even written uh some fiction about it but i was in a town called bonner's ferry which is in northern idaho just 30 miles from the canadian border and there was a woman uh, a woman in her 60s in our ward who uh came from a jewish family but had converted to the church, you know, many, many decades earlier. Her mother, uh, who had been born in Russia um, back, you know, around 1905, something mm -hmm. like that. Her mother was really old, uh, or even earlier. I think her mother was 91 at the time. Um, her mother uh, was in a nursing home in town, and... Uh, you know, she was, she was still, um, uh, a pract you know, practicing Judaism. Um, but, uh, this woman wanted us to, to teach and baptize her mother. And so we did, um, we, we went, you know, a couple times a week to the nursing home, mm. um, to, to teach this woman whose name was, was Minnie. And she was you know, she, she wasn't really all there a lot of the time. Um, and 
she would always ask us, she was often in a lot of pain and she would always ask us, you know, if you're from God, can you give me uh, a blessing to make me feel mm. better? And we would always, we would always do it, but always felt a little weird. Like, um, uh, like giving this healing blessing was, was something that, I don't know. Neither one of us really wanted to be the one who, mm-hmm. who was actually giving the blessing. You know, we were we were throwing it back and forth like a hot potato. You got to do it this time. No, you got to do it. Uh, so we were teach, about to teach her the sixth discussion. I don't know how many discussions there are these days. There was there was six back then, and uh, um, she was Minnie was in a lot of pain when we arrived, and she was crying, and she was saying, you know elders just can you can you pray pray for me and make me feel better and i caught the hot potato that time i i had to i had to give her the the healing blessing and so we we you know we anointed her and put our hands on her head and i started trying to um to say this blessing just just this rope thing that we had done you know half a dozen times already and i just i couldn't speak I felt like I just could not say anything. Like there was a hand clamped over my mouth or something. And finally, I just, I relaxed and I said, Minnie, um, your father in heaven loves you very much. Uh, but uh, it's not his will at this time that you'll be relieved of this pain mm-hmm. until you return to his presence. Something like that. And I couldn't believe it as I was saying it, you know. It's like where where is this coming from? Mm. Uh, but she she settled down um, and was very calm after that. And we taught her the the last discussion. And then a couple weeks later, we baptized her. We baptized this old ninety one year old Jewish woman who was mm. uh, who lived through the Russian Revolution. Um, and boy, she was someone who had nightmares too. She would tell us about her nightmares wow. sometimes. And, you know, she she had seen things in Russia when she was a kid, pogroms against her her family that that were still haunting her. Um, and so, you know, looking back on that, I I don't know what to what to think or how to feel about a lot of that kind of thing. But I feel like, um, uh, you know, is it is it right or wrong for us to come in and and try to change someone else's religion especially you know with that much tradition behind it and that much um you know it's it uh, it had been so much her identity her whole life what what were we doing mm-hmm. trying to go in there and change it um but you know i i, I comfort myself with the thought that we didn't we really didn't change anything but we didn't change her identity really you know we said some words over her um and and put her in the water and took her out and did it really change who she was or what her whole family experience was i I don't think so i think the only family she had left was this one daughter who really wanted her to to uh to be baptized so you know if they ended up closer because of that i think I think that's a fine thing. Um, but I think somewhere in my head at this point in my mission, I was, um, I was really starting to question, not just not, not necessarily the church so much, 
um, at that point, I, like I said, I'd, I'd had doubts going way back about that, but that's not the, the big thing I was thinking about. The big thing was what, what right do I have, mm. um, as this, you know, 20 year old kid to come in and try to tell someone else that mm-hmm. they, uh, uh, are approaching God or spirituality in, mm-hmm. in the wrong way. And I, I just started having those kinds of thoughts and experiences, I think made me kind of help me relax and get through the rest of, of my mission without, without stressing too much. Mm. I mean, I still, I still, you know, messed around a lot. And, uh, you know, we did, we, I remember a time when me and a few other missionaries went to see fatal attraction when it was in theaters, <laughs> you know, things like that. I had a, I had a companion who always wanted to, who was always trying to talk me into taking a road trip to Montana so we could go to strip clubs in Missoula. Oh, wow. <laughs> Never did that. But, um, but you know, I was, I was a slacker, but I, I became kind of okay with that. And the weird thing was I was his own leader by the time I mm-hmm. left my mission, you know, just, you know, keeping my head, head down and trying not to get in trouble and make waves. Mm-hmm. Um, somehow that looked like I was being a good missionary. Mm. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's always seemed very, very weird that I was his own leader. Oh, yeah. Were you, um, surprised at all by some of the missionaries behavior? Like guys are like, yeah, let's just go, oh, yeah. go to a strip club. Let's, let's do Yeah. This. Yeah. Oh, I was shocked. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was shocked at myself in some ways that, you know, that I would go shoot pool or play video games. Mm-hmm. Um, on days when we weren't supposed to do that. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I was super, uh, shocked by, by this companion who wanted to go do these things. And, you know, I, I never did. And, um, and we would, you know, I, I would make jokes about it, uh, or, or try to, you know, try not to act like I was, um, a, a real stick in the mud or something, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was quite a surprise. It was it was a real surprise to see that, um, which I started seeing as soon as I really got out in the mission field, that missionaries weren't um, all the super diligent, super straight arrows that mm-hmm. I'd always thought they were. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, that took some of the pressure off. You know, it's like you know, I might I might not be doing my best work here, but you know, I'm not that bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of like a common thing, though, like in a lot of missions. It's like the guys who are not following all the rules and stuff. A lot of them have some of the most success, too. That always yeah. caused kind yeah. of a dilemma. Like, wait, this guy. Yeah. Like, I had, I had a companion who's my worst companion. who's an abusive dude, stole from me, would just leave me alone in places oh, a wow. lot of the times to go meet with uh-huh. women. I don't know all what he was doing but uh i remember and he had a lot of success you know what i mean and he did that throughout yeah. all of his companionships and he just like well wow. why am i i'm trying to follow all the rules as best as i can and do all these things and we're like accomplishing really the same thing you know so right. trying to like come to terms with that and justify it i never really um found a good answer for myself necessarily did were you able to kind of reconcile all of that in your head at any point 
You know, not not really. <laughs> um, you know, whether I was whether I was working hard or slacking off, I seemed to kind of have about the same level of success through mm. through my whole mission. It was very slow but very steady. Like, you know, maybe maybe a, a baptism every month, mm. and never got much more than that. But it never really dried up either. So um, I, I started to look at it as like um, that maybe, you know, this is one of the justifications you, you create in your head, but it's like maybe um, these people, it's just, it's just time. Mm-hmm. It's their time. And, you know, whoever's coming along at the right time is going to help this person mm-hmm. come into the church. And, um, and, and it's not a process you can, really force mm-hmm. that's kind of how I, I started looking at it mm-hmm. like um not that i was completely you know abdicating any feeling of responsibility for you know for the souls i was out there s- supposed to be harvesting but um i, I kind of took a little bit more of a philosophical point of view you know if people are ready you know we're gonna we're gonna find them and if they're not ready you know, we could work as hard as, as we want and, you know, and, and we're not going to have success. It's not all up to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of it was probably like my just ego just on my own, like, oh, I should be <laughs> this and this and this. And cause that's a big thing in missions too. That kind of surprised me oh, yeah. going into it, just the, uh, the campaigning and trying to set yourself up the to look as best as you can in front of president everybody wants to be in leadership and all of these things and yeah i still uh, cringe a couple times you know, looking back at some of the things i I, yeah. I did performing in district meetings and zone meetings just trying to find the most obscure yeah. scripture like oh that guy wow he knows his stuff. <laughs> he's a he's a real deep thinker noted that guy could be ap you know but yeah 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 uh, you know, most of the time I just really wanted to keep my head down and just not get in trouble. And, uh, seems like the more I kept my head down, the more I kept getting noticed, mm. uh, which was not what, not my intention at all. I did not want to be his own leader. Um, and in fact, the way I became his own leader was, was really weird. I think the mission president suspected, um, something had been going on with my, previous companion that he'd, he'd been into some, you know, some bad stuff and he was, um, but he's trying to get me to the mission president's trying to get me to talk about it once. And, uh, uh, he was just saying, uh, you know, elder son, I can tell there's something on your mind. There's something bothering you. Do you want to, you know, talk about it? And, you know, I just, to get him off my back, I told him the most innocuous thing that we had done that I could possibly think of. It's like, you know, we, you know, we put too many miles on our car one month, so we we popped up, you know, we jacked up uh, the back wheel and ran it in reverse to take the miles off for a while. It's, you know, I, I know it's a crime and I feel terrible and, and this is awful. And, oh, but Elder Shun, it was probably Elder Jones that made you do that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But it was fine. I could say that because Elder Jones had gone home from his mission already, so he wasn't going to get in any trouble. Um, and but then I ended up becoming his own leader, and I'm pretty sure it's because I, you know, because I narked on my companion. Yeah. 
overall, uh, how did you feel about your mission experience? Did, did you regret going? Was it mostly positive in the long run? Um, no, I don't. I don't think it was overall positive. <laughs> I really, I, 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 I came home and and I did. I, all I wanted to do was be home every mm-hmm. every day, really. Uh, and uh, for a long time, I just I just resented the fact that I had lost those two years. I was really bitter about it for a long time. Probably, you know, I, I a lot of that bitterness went into the um, into the website originally. Um, and uh, yeah, there was there were so many things that that I I wanted to do and that I wanted to study. I, I had already been to a um, a big writing workshop. Mm-hmm um at michigan state university before my mission and i was just eager to to write and to finish college and to get out and get on with my life and um i just felt like when i got back you know so much had been pushed off track for me because i'd I'd gone on the mission i was i was very unhappy about it Mm -hmm. i'm curious um you mentioned you did that before the mission um, what were kind of some of your earliest stories like, and then how did they differ after you had come home and experienced all those things? Um, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I, I feel like if, if there was anything that, that the, something that the mission did, uh, good for me, it, it did get me out and get me to see, uh, a side of the world I wouldn't have experienced mm-hmm. otherwise. Um, and, you know, I found out a lot of things about, about myself and even about my, my family. So I think, you know, having a period of two years where I wasn't really, um, writing or focused on, on writing, um, I came back to it with, with a, a really kind of a different perspective on life and on, uh, I don't know, a lot of the sacred cows in my life, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether that was religion or politics or what I'd always been kind of interested in, in both those things in, in my fiction, but there was before my mission, I think I was always trying to write a short story that had a, a trick ending, okay. you know, something something very clever mm-hmm. um and i didn't give that up entirely when i came back but it became you know more about um uh, uh raising a lot of difficult questions and and, and grappling with them mm-hmm. rather than trying to you know um write a story that had a, a real zinger mm-hmm. at the end of it no. uh, and i did i, I did start you know, selling short stories a couple of years after I got back from my mission. So, um, something, I think, I think probably something may have helped there. Uh Now I know, um, one of your stories, I was looking for the the name of it here. Um, inclination, I believe that was a, Mm -hmm. a finals award finalist that has some religious themes in it. Do you find yourself actively trying to avoid that or do you, um, kind of encourage it within yourself as a form of release or anything like that? Um, oh, I, I, I encourage it in myself. Uh, I, I find there's a, 
there's an aspect to a lot of what I write that's that's informed by uh, religion or spirituality, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's I think it's 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 a natural and um, and really helpful thing, you know, at least for me, to take experiences that I've had in the church and sort of um, either write about them directly or transmute them in some way mm-hmm. um, in fiction. Uh, to try to, you know, sort of shake them up and look at, look at them from a different angle. Uh-huh. Uh, so inclination was, uh, I drew very heavily from my own upbringing to, to write this story. Um, it was about, a, it's about a little uh, religious enclave living deep in the bowels of a huge space station, like mm-hmm. a thousand years in the future millions of people on the space station, you know, a few hundred of these, um, religious zealots who, um, who believe that they should not use any form of, of advanced technology. Mm. And, you know, they worship, um, sort of God in the form of, of the six fundamental machines, mm. you know, the wedge, the, the screw, the inclined plane, things like that. Um, but, uh, I really kind of based um, the the feeling of the religion on Mormonism, and the the relationship of the kid with his father was much like the relationship between me and my father. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was uh, I knew as soon as I had finished writing this story that it was it was something that was really powerful for me, and you know, a lot of people felt the same way. Mm-hmm. And there are some people who have sent me email out of the blue over the years to say, you know, I read this story and I have to ask if, if you're a Mormon, Mm -hmm. you know, because, um, they could just see, see the parallels there. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And, um, uh, you know, one, one thing I was, I was, um, wrestling with in this story was, kind of the differences between the way I saw my father behave um, uh, in a work environment, mm-hmm. the way I saw him behave in a church environment, and the way I saw him behave at home and how all those things were were very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those kinds of contradictions really formed the heart of this, of this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which, which reminds me, I was going to, I was going to, at some point we were talking about um, when I had, had first started having doubts mm-hmm. um, about uh, about the church, um, which ties in with, with my father again. Um, you know, he was, uh, he was extremely zealous about the LDS church. And... You know, I knew from a young age that I was going to go on a mission because my dad had gone on his mission, um, and he had gone to Germany. He had all sorts of German things in the house. He had a German Book of Mormon, um, and um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second. Uh, <laughs> oh, you're fine. Um, he, 
she was always, um, you know, more, a, a, a more kind of outgoing and worldly guy when he was at work um, than he ever allowed me to be. Times when I saw him at work, he acted like a whole different person than, than um, when he was at home talking about, about church um, and about religious topics. Um, but the thing I knew about him was that he'd gone on this mission. And it was a really important experience to him and uh, one of the most central parts of his life. But I had, I had already started having a lot of questions about the church, you know, from the time I was five or six, really just trying to work through the implications of, you know, what, what would have happened if I had been born into a different family, you know, um, would I, um, if I'd been born a Lutheran, for instance, would I suddenly think that Lutheranism was mm -hmm. the only the only correct religion? And I started worrying about, um, you know, what was what was ultimately true at a really young age. Um, but when I ever tried to bring up things like this with my dad, he would, you know, I'd get in trouble for, mm -hmm. for asking questions about it. Um, so anyway, Years later, I'm on my mission, and I decide I, I want to go home. Uh, and when they finally caught up with me and put me on the phone with my dad um, to have him talk me into staying on my mission, um, it, uh, uh, he told me that he had run away from his mission mm. at six months almost exactly the same as I did, except he, he had seen uh, hypocrisy among the other missionaries and decided he was wasting his time, and mm. he left and went home. And he had never, never talked about this yeah. before. And he begged me. He, he started crying, which I had never seen before. He was like, you have to stay on your mission or you're going to ruin your life mm. just like I ruined mine. Oh. And that's one of the... You know, I, I fought it for quite a while, but it's one of the things that contributed to me staying on my mission eventually. But mm -hmm. um, it, it made me realize um, or, or even start to wonder, you know, how much we don't know about um, the experiences even of, of people we've lived with yeah. our, our whole lives. And it made me really wish that I had known these things before. Um, because, you know, I might not have, have blindly done so many of the same things that my dad did mm -hmm. that he was actively trying to keep me from doing, but that I ended up doing anyway. Mm -hmm. you know, it was just, it's, it was a really weird, uh, case of, of history repeating itself yeah. no, this might when it, when it didn't have to. Mm -hmm. This might feel like a weird segue, but your, your memoir, okay. um, the accidental terrorist, I know that you kind of wove a lot of parallels between your life and that of Joseph Smith, you know, like uh, both being in prison and all of these things. Um, in your research as you were writing that, did you discover anything about either of your lives that surprised you? Um, well, there was, a, there was a lot that I discovered about Joseph Smith's life mm -hmm. that surprised me. Um, I think it's, I find it endlessly fascinating. I, I will go back and reread parts of No Man Knows My History mm. from time to time and, and you know, other other books from that era. 
but what what really struck me um, was the way that um, the way that Joseph Smith had been telling stories his whole life, mm-hmm. you know, and I I could relate to that. I felt like you know I wasn't necessarily a verbal storyteller like like he was, mm-hmm. um, and he was very good at it. Um, but you know, I had this deep, intense desire to tell stories and to, you know, make my own experiences into, um, into something that was relatable to other people. Um, and I, I learned in the research that, um, Joseph Smith had actually been telling stories about the, um, his ideas about the original inhabitants of the American continents from the time he, he was a kid, Mm. you know, I learned that there was, there were a lot of theories around at the time about where the native Americans had come from, who had built all these mounds that were all over, um, in, uh, all over uh, around the area where Joseph Smith grew up. And there were a lot of crazy theories out there. Um, and the idea that, that the native Americans had, um, were one of the lost tribes of Israel was not something that Joseph Smith made up. It was something that was, that was out there in the, in the zeitgeist at the time. Um, and I, what I came to realize, um, in looking at the parallels between our lives was that, um, You've heard people say many times, I'm sure, that, you know, how could an uneducated farm boy have written the Book of Mormon mm. as, as quickly as he did? It has to be divine. Um, I, I don't buy that for a second anymore because of, because of the research that I did. It makes perfect sense to me that he had been telling these stories and telling them and refining them and making up new details and just creating a whole world in his head for years before he ever sat down. And it must have been just like um, the biggest feeling of a dam breaking when he started dictating um, the Book of Mormon. He could just, you know, sit down and endlessly um, release everything he'd been thinking about and storing up and, and he could continue to embellish it at the time because I had the exact same experience when I sat down to write my first novel, Mm. you know, I was 24. I was just about the same age. And I had, I had been thinking about this world for a long time, making notes about it. I had written a couple of short stories set in the world and suddenly I'd gotten laid off from a, from my job at word perfect. And I had, I had just nothing but free time ahead of me. And I sat down and I started writing this novel from the beginning i wrote a quarter million words in eight weeks <laughs> and there was a complete a complete novel now it wasn't great but you know it was it was not bad either and i had just no idea that i had the capacity to write at that with that kind of concentration and that speed for so long um, and I've never, I've never written nearly that fast again. Um, you know, maybe for a day or two when I'm deep into a project, I can, I can get to that point, but 
to sustain it for for eight weeks was just a, a thrilling feeling and when i was reading about you know joseph's storytelling experiences that's the big thing i took away it's like all of a sudden it made perfect sense how how the book of mormon could have could have come to be because you know it just felt like something that i had gone through also yeah certainly not at the same level but Mm -hmm. um but it was it was relatable Mm -hmm. and i could understand it yeah that's interesting so joseph smith is a legitimate author in your, yeah in your opinion yeah because people always <laughs> yeah yeah cash. in my opinion yeah that's yeah. really interesting um earlier you kind of mentioned um how you had kind of stepped away a little bit from like the ex-mormon identity um do you think that that's ever fully possible and and should we as ex-mormons strive for that um, no, I don't think I, I, I don't think it's ever possible, and it's probably not uh, a completely. Um, uh, it's it's maybe not even something that's completely desirable. I mean, you you always want to remember where you came from and what you've been through and what all that has taught you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the trick is getting to the point where it doesn't completely define you and it yeah. doesn't it doesn't run your life mm. uh, which i felt like it did for me for for a long time mm-hmm. um and you know sort of stepping back from from that immersion i think even probably gave me uh the distance and the space that i needed to you know gather my thoughts and be able to to bring a, a different kind of perspective to my memoir when I finally got the, the last draft done mm-hmm. because it wasn't something I was, it was something that was still part of me and that I was still close to in some ways, but it wasn't something that I was, that completely defined me. It was something I could stand back from um, and have some perspective on mm-hmm. to be able to, I, I think, write with a little more compassion and wisdom about what I had gone through than mm-hmm. I would have been able to, you know, even in 2005. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find uh, my own experience, like uh, Mormonism is like the six degrees of separation kind of a thing. Like no matter where I go or who I come across, like there's always some sort of weird Mormon connection, you know. And I don't know if that's because I'm kind of looking for them subconsciously or whatever it is, but that kind of uh, reinforced my my take on that. It's like, oh, you really have to get to a place where you can be comfortable with this because it's not going to go away. You're going to come across it right. the rest right. of your life in the weirdest places with the weirdest strangers. You know what I mean? But where do you, um, what do you identify as now? Or like, where are you at in your journey spiritually or secularly? I have, I have identified for quite a long time um, as a, as an atheist, um, not a, not a not a militant atheist mm. necessarily, although I probably would have would have felt that way at, at some point. Um, but uh, with some definite leanings towards uh, towards meditation and and Buddhism and so forth, uh, which I like because you can you can uh, you can uh, get something out of I think um, you know meditation practices without feeling without even feeling like there's necessarily um a god or 
an overruling spirit. I think it speaks to something that's innately human um, that uh, I want to be better in touch with. Mm-hmm. So, so a strange kind of a strange kind of atheist is how I yeah. identify now. Yeah. Um, just kind of in closing, like I don't want to keep you too long. We're hitting about that sixty-minute mark. Um, is there any like kind of final advice that you would give somebody who might be early on in their journey or is still kind of clinging to that aspect of their life? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not the same advice I'd probably give, um, at a, at a later, later stage, but you know, just do what you're doing and keep, mm-hmm. keep talking about it. Um, that's how you, that's how you, um, get through and, and process, mm-hmm. um, everything that, that, um, has brought you to the point where you are now. Um, I think, um, the best way to, um, to not get through it is to, is to just run away from it and pretend it isn't there and, and not talk about it and not explore it and not try to find your way through it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was probably a, a time in my life where I tried doing that also. And, um, it just, it doesn't really, it doesn't really move you forward. Mm-hmm. And I think as long as you're, you know, asking questions and trying to, um, you know, expand what you know, um, and you know, what, um, and what you feel and how, how you, how you process things. As long as you're doing that, you're going to, you're going to keep, making forward motion and things are going to keep getting better i can agree more and uh, is there anything i haven't asked that you wanted to get into um not no not, not that i can not not that comes to mind immediately All right. um yeah i would just i would just say go to accidentalterrorist.com and and uh and you can read a little bit about uh about my memoir and mission experiences there all right awesome well definitely i i can't wait to really fully delve into that myself and i'm, I'm gonna be holding you to uh, a copy for sure bill oh yeah shoot me email me your uh, your address and i'll i'll drop this in the mail as soon as uh, i can get my mask on and get out <laughs> to the post office all right awesome i'd really appreciate it well thanks again bill for uh coming on and sharing bits of your story and i really appreciate uh, it and i think people will enjoy it and uh you know, thanks for having me please, Devin. this was a lot of fun right? i'm glad all right all right talk to you soon thanks bye all right bye-bye Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.